Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Before I get started on the message, I just want to thank you so much for your prayers for for me and for Laura over the last year or two. Um, we're full of joy and really, uh, despite all the challenges, enjoying the presence of the Lord and each other. I want to tell you one funny story from this past week. Laura had some steroid shots in her back and some of the nerve endings burned off in the hopes of uh, doing away with some long-term pain in her back. And so far it's been really successful, which we're grateful for. But they must have hit her with a lot of, um, of uh, anesthesia because she was a long time waking up, longer than usual. And, and at one point she, she raised these super heavy eyelids and she said, have they deputized you yet? <laughs> and she was packing boxes and wondering why I wasn't helping her. And it was so the Lord is good. Uh, let's see. Whoops. So I want to turn your attention this morning to the subject of pleasure. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on pleasure. Um, I want to look at you with what the Bible says about pleasure. Um, We're going to see that pleasure is a two-edged sword for the believer. Um, We're going to explore some of the pitfalls of pleasure. And also, I think you'll conclude with me that uh, to be an effective man or woman in the kingdom, we must learn the art of measuring our pleasure. Measure Your Pleasure is the title of the sermon. As you know, I'm a big fan of uh, G.K. Chesterton. Here's a picture of him. Uh, One writer said that when you read his writings, it's like drinking happy nitroglycerin. Uh, And actually, it was his thoughts about pleasure that led him to Christ. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Here are a couple of quotes along those lines. He said, uh, Christianity is the only reasonable explanation for the existence of pleasure in the world. In other words, he was saying that random evolution didn't explain why is there such beauty and pleasure in the world. He also wrote... Moments of pleasure are the remnants washed ashore from a shipwreck, bits of paradise extended through time. We must hold these relics lightly and use them with humility and restraint, never seizing them as our entitlements. I really like that last line, and it kind of captures the spirit of what I want to say today, or I believe the Holy Spirit wants to say, is we need to hold pleasure lightly. And enjoy it with humility and restraint, never seizing upon it as an entitlement. So I believe the Holy Spirit is leading us this morning to assess our relationship with pleasure, if you will. 
and uh, specifically the danger of allowing too much pleasure in our lives. I've been thinking about how an Afghan family coming to the United States must feel going into a Sam's or a Walmart. Uh, can't perhaps read, can't perhaps write, speak the language, and yet here are these shelves filled with such abundance. I remember being on a mission trip uh, myself and just for a couple weeks and coming back and feeling like weeping in the store because of all the choice and all the abundance. Um, something had changed on that trip. So I want to specifically talk about the danger of allowing too much pleasure in our lives, whether it's a sinful habit or an excess in legitimate pleasures or simply wasting time with distractions. Now, as I think about this with you, you may already be thinking about um, Galatians 5.22, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, right? Or maybe you're thinking about that phrase, um, all things in moderation. But uh, I want to approach this subject more in the context of efficiency. Being efficient men and women of the kingdom and using our time productively and wisely. And so I'd like to uh, turn to Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. Let's look at it together. This is the New American Standard Version. It says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We'll come back to this verse a little later and uh, break it down a bit, but I want to comment that right now that Dr. Chuck Farah used to say, abiding in Christ is working at full efficiency in a relaxed state of faith. Let me say that again. Abiding in Christ is working at full efficiency in a relaxed state of faith. Now that's harder to do than say, isn't it? Uh, it's the relaxed state of faith that gets me. Uh, I tend to be anxious and a control freak and want everything to turn out the way I want it to turn out. Um, but here is the roadmap for the message today. We're going to look at the pleasures of the Lord, first of all. What does he take pleasure in? And then we're going to look at some pitfalls of pleasure, the purpose of pleasure in this life, and then the promise that we have of greater pleasures in the next life. So let's look at this two-edged sword called pleasure. First of all, the pleasures of the Lord. What are his pleasures? What does he take pleasure in? So let's look at some scriptures. First, Psalm 147, 10 and 11 says this. Do not delight in the strength of the horse. Excuse me. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, those who wait 
for his loving kindness. The King James Version says, those that hope in his mercy. And the uh, NIV and NLT say, put their hope in his unfailing love. Isn't it wonderful to contemplate that we are actually bringing pleasure to the heart of God when we are resting in joyful trust and simple faith in him while we wait for our miracle. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you are waiting for a miracle, but you're trusting in God, you're resting in him? Uh, I want to commend you because you are bringing pleasure to the heart of God. Isn't that beautiful? Again, in Psalm 149.4, it says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. One version says, The Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. A second one of his pleasures is to give us the kingdom, the scriptures say. This was Jesus talking. And uh, he said uh, that it is, his, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The New Living Translation says, it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Colossians 1.13, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. That verse just makes me happy. And apparently it makes God happy too. With the kingdom inside us, we read, thirdly, that he also takes pleasure in transforming us. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God himself who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the one that says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his likeness from one degree to another. If you go to your concordance and you look up the word pleasure, you will find a couple of verses that talk about God taking pleasure in his own counsel. In other words, God takes pleasure in executing his own plans and his own thoughts and his own purposes. Um, Of course, we remember the verse where God said of Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But the vast majority of words that talk about pleasure in a positive way are talking about us and how God takes pleasure in those who fear him. God takes pleasure in giving us the kingdom. God takes pleasure in transforming us. Isn't it amazing that his focus of pleasure is upon us. Isn't that beautiful? Um, He has no pleasure, the scriptures say, in the strength of a man, no pleasure in fools, no pleasure in the death of the wicked, no pleasure in those who shrink back from their faith in him. But his extreme pleasure is in those who fear him and are waiting upon him and trusting in his steadfast love. If that's you, I commend you 
and you are bringing pleasure to the heart of God. Hallelujah. All right. Well, now let's look at some pitfalls of pleasure. A pitfall is a... That was fun, wasn't it? That origami. Um, A pitfall is one of those uh, traps where a pit has been covered over, let's say, in the jungle. And a tiger is coming along, softly walking toward that, that hole that's been covered over. But the tiger has such sensitive feet and that sixth sense that when it puts a paw on that covering, it draws back and makes its way around and often goes on. Certainly the pleasures of this world are gifts from God, aren't they? You know, James 1.17, every good endowment and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Yet every pleasure can be exploited by our sinful natures, can it, and become a trap or a pitfall. Let's look at a few that the Bible warns us about. The first is excesses or indulgence in something. Um, In Ecclesiastes 2, the wisest man, often called the wisest man of the Bible, Solomon, is exploring meaning in life. And he says, I'm going to explore to the fullest extent pleasure. And he explores uh, excess sex, excess altered states, uh, meaning drunkenness. He um, explored excess accomplishments and extreme wealth. Let's read a little bit of that together in uh, Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 3. He says, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. He goes on to say, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. Notice, for myself for myself, for myself. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and I had home-born slaves. Also I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also I collected for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces, I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor And this was my reward for all my labor. 
Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So here's a man who had all the resources to fully explore every form of pleasure to its fullest extent, and he concludes that it's all vanity and meaningless. The word indulgence means to give oneself away to one's desires to something that has been granted as a privilege. I like ice cream, before bed especially. I like golf. I like watching the news. But in excess, any of these will either hurt my body or relationships, or my state of mind. Although, in my case, I think there is one God-approved excess that the Lord is just fine with. Can you think of what that is? I think you're right. It's cheese. Cheese over any kind of Italian something has to be approved by God. You know, we just bring the whole bowl of cheese in to where we're eating and, and just cover Italian. Yeah. Here's a quote by Chesterton that I think is powerful. Meaningless does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Proverbs says, have you found honey? Eat only what you need to be satisfied. If you overindulge, you will be sick and vomit it up. And in another place, a sated man loathes honey. Have you ever had that experience where you've had so much of a good thing that it, all, it repulses you to look at any more? I remember in college, I made donuts in the cafeteria. And after a dozen of those, uh, it was like, oh, I hate these things, you know. Get them away from me. I really didn't need a dozen, I don't think. But The next pitfall is the, the pitfall of distractions. So many pleasures of this world are neither intrinsically bad or good, but to linger too long on some innocuous pleasure can quickly become a distraction, can it? A distraction from the best use of our time, from being productive and productive for the kingdom of God. Too much TV, too many movies, too many video games, too much time on Facebook or just being on the computer. Too much reading can even be a distraction, although... C.S. Lewis said, eating and reading are two pleasures that combine admirably. Sometimes I work to avoid prayer. And so in that case, it would be too much work to avoid the harder work of prayer. And wanting to accomplish things that I can see with my own two eyes instead of trusting in the Lord to accomplish things 
that are even bigger and more important. Of course, poor Martha. I always seem to work Martha into a sermon. Um, she wanted to show her deep love to the Lord and to the disciples, I'm sure, by creating an excellent meal. And yet what happens? The Lord uh, rebuffs her for um, being distracted. The Word says she was distracted uh, by much serving rather than relishing His presence in the moment. Um, and then a little later, he says, uh, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things. How many of you feel that, that that's kind of you, uh, that you're a Martha uh, in that way, that you're worried and bothered about so many things? Can any of you say, hey, that's me? I mean... That's me. I've always appreciated hosts or hostesses that when you go to their house, they just fold you into the preparation. And their mindset is not about the meal so much as it is about talking and engaging with you. Um, I wonder what Jesus would have done if Martha had said, Lord, would you grab about 15 potatoes out of that bushel and wash them up and then, uh, you know, uh, punch them with a fork and then wrap them and throw them into the fire? You know, would she have received a different kind of rebuke? Or would he have said, sure, be happy to? I don't know. You know, different culture, different time. But a couple of weeks ago, Sue Wright gave this word that uh, was impactful to me. And Sue, that was the one about pay attention to the little checks. And uh, in this, in this uh, context we're talking about of, of indulging in too much of one type of pleasure or being distracted by the good or the neutral from the best, uh, I want to reinforce that word and say, pay attention to those little whispers of the Holy Spirit when he says, I think you should move on now. Uh, we can all relate to that, right? You've been doing something, and you feel the Lord say through his Holy Spirit, eh, Amy, I think you've done enough of that. Let's move on. I want you to remember that Jesus himself in the story of Martha and Mary, warned against distraction and not paying attention to the best. Another pitfall warned against is wasting time and spiritual opportunities. I'll forever be grateful to Mike Farrell, who I don't remember if it was in front of the church on a Sunday morning or in conversation with him or where he did this, but he gave me or us a little teaching on Ephesians 5, 15 and 18. Let's look at it again. In verse 15, we see the word circumspectly. It says, so then uh, see that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. 
Uh, Mike explained that that word circumspectly in the King James Version is talking about being aware of everything that's going on around you um, so that you can make the most of what's happening in that sphere. And Laura and I used to teach the basic kids to think about this word. And we gave examples, like if you're out with your buddies and you're throwing the frisbee or the football, and then you come into a room where there's a bunch of adults, it's a different context. And to respect those adults, you want to take off your hat. Or if you're in a room and every chair is taken, and a young lady walks in the room, what do you want to be aware to do? You want to offer your seat. And so that's the idea of walking circumspectly. I think it comes from the math term uh, circumference, that you are looking all around you with a, an awareness. And then in the New American Standard Bible, they use in verse 18 this word dissipation. Dissipation means a wasting or a wastefulness, a breaking up or scattering of something valuable or good. When a person on a Saturday morning after a big party on Friday night says, you should have seen me last night, dude. I was so wasted. They're being exactly accurate. They have wasted their energy, their creativity, their personality, their uniqueness, their God-given beauty and gifts by indulging whatever motive or feeling or grievance they brought to the bottle. This passage warns us against allowing that priceless and beautiful redeemed soul that was bought with the blood of Christ uh, from becoming a wasteland of dirt, burned over timber, scorched earth, barren, and dead. Well, that's kind of depressing. So, let's turn to the purpose of pleasure. Uh, this is more fun. We remember that God is a God of joy and a God of wonder, a God of mystery and laughter as much as a God of judgment, sobriety, justice, and wrath. Elton Trueblood writes in his book, The Humor of Christ, any alleged Christianity which fails to express itself in gaiety at some point is clearly spurious. Now, I remember one of our first elders' meals at our house in Catoosa years ago. And we asked Jim Garrett to ask the blessing. And Jim spread his hands and he prayed that we would have gay conviviality. <laughs> and we were all just kind of, you know, trying not to laugh before he ended the prayer. But one thing I appreciate about Jim, despite all the challenges, despite of the weight of all the churches on him, he often walks in joy, whistling a tune, or singing a hymn, or engaging in gay conviviality. Yes, the Feast of Tabernacles, for example, 
involved a seven-day feast in which the Israelites were commanded to rejoice and feast and forbidden to mourn for seven days. What's up with that, Rebecca? Is God a party animal? What, you know, I was talking with Laura and I said, you know, it seems like our God is as concerned with feasting as He is with fasting. I don't mean gluttony, but I mean that celebration that goes with eating and joy and dancing and so on. Turning again to G.K. Chesterton, he was a huge and very overweight and jolly man. Often celebrated his faith by making fun of how fat he was. And in one instance he said, just the other day at the theater, I enjoyed the pleasure of offering my seat to three ladies. (laughs) Well, the purpose of pleasure is manifold, isn't it? It elicits gratitude and joy, wonder, restoration, refreshing, respite from the mundane, transcendence even. That word means kind of taking you between heaven and earth and giving you this beautiful place where you're in touch and connected with God as well as your human existence. Um, So this slide was fun to make. Laughter, joy, gratitude, worship, praise, wonder. I'd like to share with you three scenes that came to my mind as I thought about Uh, the purpose of pleasure or the joy of pleasure. The first one was happened this last week when Jason Feathers and his two daughters, um, Rose and Lillian, came over to uh, for Jason to do some work on our house. And Rose and Lillian were running around kind of dabbling in our pool. And of course, eventually they were soaked head to toe while Jason worked. But Before they did that, I offered them some sour cream and onion potato chips, and their eyes lit up. They were so excited. And of course, their eyes went directly to their dad. Can we, dad? And Jason got that grin that is so amazing, where he's like half of his grin goes up, and his eyes get this mirthful look. And uh, you could see, I could see in Jason's face, and it made me happy, was the joy of a father saying yes to his kids uh, about something he knew they would enjoy. A second wonderful scene to me was in a discussion with Bruce Clutter we were talking about cruises. I had recently gone on a cruise to Alaska. I believe, Bruce, you had been on that cruise, and we were talking. Bruce said, what did you like about the cruise? And I said, well, the stateroom was really cool. It had an espresso machine, and, you know, I, I really enjoyed retreating to the room. And Bruce said, oh, man, he said, I could care less about the room. He said, I was up on the deck at the railing, just, I couldn't tear myself away from the beauty of Alaska and the beauty of God's creation and how it must make God's heart happy to see one of his sons 
just drinking in the beauty of creation that the Father has made for him and us and for him, Bruce, on that day. Then another scene in my mind is I love watching two godly young adults begin to fall in love. You know, the playfulness, the flirtiness, um, the earnest looking into each other's eyes, yearning so desperately to, to discover the depth of each other's souls. I remember driving to Georgia with um, Mary Manchester and her husband-to-be, Charlie, in the car. They were going to visit some relatives. I was going to a conference there. And we decided to stretch our legs. We've been driving a long time, so I just pulled off the highway. And Mary and Charlie jump out of the car, grab hands, and they just run down the shoulder of the highway, giggling and laughing like two ten-year-olds. And it, was just, it just brought joy to my heart. More recently, here's Emily Staub coming down the aisle with Jonathan, her groom. And Emily has such beautiful eyes that are so expressive. And to me, she's so open to him, so hopeful of a lifetime of loving and being loved. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful picture. I think of this verse quite often. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent or if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Aren't we grateful for the beauty and the wonder and the pure pleasures of life? It could be as simple as a cup of coffee in the morning, or two cups of coffee, or three. <laughs> okay. I'm going to revert to Chesterton for a couple more quotes. The worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude and has no one to thank. I don't think my dad would mind me picking on him a little bit. He has said that he doesn't believe uh, for many years, but with a couple glasses of wine, he just gets really thankful. And I remember one family meal back in Minneapolis where he just, he wanted to pray, and he just kind of threw his arms open. He's just, thanks. This is so great. But we weren't sure who it was to or, you know. Uh, but uh, he illustrated that quote at that time. And then a second one, I would maintain that thanks is the highest form of thought and that gratitude is thanks doubled by wonder. Isn't that beautiful? Thanks doubled by wonder. Pleasure has a purpose, and that purpose is to turn us to God ultimately to produce gratitude and praise and joy in the creator of every good thing we enjoy. 
And then last, the promise of greater pleasures in the next life. You know, the greatest pleasures of this life are but a foretaste of even greater pleasures in the next. Inconceivable pleasures waiting us in heaven. And so 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Things which eyes have seen and ears have not heard, excuse me, eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, nor the heart of man conceived, all that God has prepared for those who love him. This next verse is really the verse that sparked this message. In, the, in thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. I hope that can be a motivation to us that when we're tempted to indulge in some pleasure more than we should or some sinful thing that we shouldn't be involved in at all, we can remind ourselves that God has pleasures beyond anything we've ever thought of or experienced and they're waiting for us in heaven. And so I want to ask you, dear saints, that just as you examine your faith in many other areas and ways, that you examine your relationship to pleasure as well. In short, that you measure your pleasure. Let us walk circumspectly in the pleasures of this life, not becoming lovers of God, excuse me, lovers of pleasure, but Instead, be lovers of God. May we hold these bits of paradise lightly and use them with humility and restraint, never seizing them as our entitlements. May God bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen.